everybody. It is Pastor Allison and Pastor Davis uh, over here with some digital discipleship. Uh, one of the gifts of uh, Davis's preparations for sermons and series is hours and hours of content <laughs> that we don't get to hear in sermons. And so uh, if you haven't worshiped with us before, or maybe you've been tuning in live, but anyways, we're going through a series on Job. And so we wanted to talk about that a little bit more uh, than what we've been able to talk about it in worship and to hear some of our ponderings because what an ironic uh, moment it is that we are in a series in Job and Nashville all the way to Cookville was hit by a tornado a couple of weeks ago and now we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So anyways, thanks for joining us. Thanks Davis for being here. Um, Hopefully we'll get this to work. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah. So it is good to be with you guys. And it's good to talk to you too, Allison. I've been thinking a lot uh, about how ironic it is that we're in the midst of this Job series because we you started it the the day before the tornado, the week before the pandemic. And so while we were looking at this example of a, a man who was suffering in a whirlwind, which is kind of a metaphor for uh, the struggle that we all feel. Um, what a what an interesting study for this moment in the life of our culture. Um, so one of the things that I was you know, I've been talking to people about is uh, suffering brings up grief brings up other grief uh, or unresolved grief sometimes. And I was thinking about how uh, have, has anybody ever really felt this? Uh, a lot of folks that have never been through a corporate moment like this or a cultural moment where all of a sudden, all of a sudden life is different than it was. It's completely abnormal. And so there's a lot of times I feel like we don't really have a frame of reference for this. Um, but when when this began happening, I, I went back to 9-11. I remember 9-11 when that happened. I remember where I was. I remember uh, who told me. I remember turning on the television and trying to get the update. And then I just, I remember wanting to go home. You know, our children were young during that time. I just wanted to go home. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to make sure they were okay. Although this was far away from us, you know, New York City, it affected all of us. Mm -hmm. And so the images are still, you know, haunt us. And then just sort of that grief process of going through the whys and the how could this happen to coming to reality, grieving the people that were lost. And, and it was just sort of this corporate moment where we felt like, you know, we're all together in this. We're all weeping together. We're, and I remember the Sunday that followed that event, the church was packed mm-hmm. with people that came for, we had communion and prayer. And even during the week, we had prayer meetings. And so it's interesting how all of that sort of came back in the midst of this. And yet it's completely different. Because one of the ways that it's different is we can't come together as a body. We, we can't have a packed house right now uh, because of our need for social distancing, for the welfare of all concerned, that uh, we have to find a different way to connect. And thank God for our technology. You know, a lot of people my age and probably older have never been as thankful for technology. <laughs> Because right now we've seen it more as a nuisance sometimes than as a blessing. But my goodness, it has been such a blessing. And it has forced many of us who don't consider ourselves techno savvy 
to learn, to become more uh, knowledgeable about it, because it's the way that we can connect with other people, just like we're doing right now. I mean, to see you face to face and have this conversation, um, you know, that's so important, the relational part of that. But so this has really pushed us in a different way. Uh, from anything that I've experienced before. The other thing I was going to say is I remember when 9-11 happened, that we had a, an older uh, pastor who was retired in our community who once served the church that I was serving. And I remember him standing up and reading the scripture and then saying to us, I remember uh, 19, I remember Pearl Harbor in 1941. I remember hearing the news on the radio. And he said, we were all affected by that. And the response was, we all came to the church to pray together because it was, you know, it was one of those times that just rattled your world. And it, again, was an example of how events like this have a way of pulling people together um, in a moment where we maybe we've been apart or we've been distanced in a certain way. You You recognize that, gosh, we have this deep need, uh, we're, we're dependent on each other. Mm -hmm. so we, we need to find a way to be together in the midst of this, to pray together, to, uh, to reassure one another of our love. And, and, um, so it's, it's been interesting how this reminds us of other events that are maybe somewhat similar and the need to pull together as a, as a body, uh, for the sake of the world, which is mm -hmm. part of our mission, of course. So, so I'm wondering from you, Allison, um, how this experience, what, maybe what you're learning uh, out of this uh, experience of social distancing, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got small children, we've got a <laughs> nest. So Sherry and I were talking about this last night, like it's a lot different for, from us because we talk to our kids by phone, they're fine, they're adults, you know, they... Um, but you have two dependents, and what is that like for uh, someone like you, who's a mom and a pastor, in the midst of this? What how's this affecting you as a disciple, as a mom, and what are you learning out of this? Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, space to be in, for sure, <laughs> for lots of different reasons, and there's several things that. Um, I think, especially from my uh, position, which I think is a pretty privileged one, I have not gotten COVID. My family hasn't gotten COVID-19. Our jobs haven't been totally destructive. They've just become, uh, you know, remote. Um, but definitely we're balancing the kids with help from my parents. But there's this sense of um, this necessary slowdown and even if for me, I'm working from home, I'm not commuting to work. And so it saves me almost an hour and a half a day so that I am in theory getting some time uh, back in my day. And it's this necessary slowdown. Uh, I was talking to you about this um, earlier that it's like this beautiful getting to spend time together as family moments, yeah. which is almost painful to say in the midst of, I know other people are suffering because of that, uh, because of COVID-19 and I get more family time, but it's this, like, I keep thinking about Sabbath. Um, and though, uh, Sabbath is 
not the same as having to necessarily stay at home. There's a sense of like slowing down and having to recenter myself on God and getting to spend more time with my family and that sort of like interconnectedness between God and the people around me, whether it's physically distancing or with my family right here in the house, that's kind of been the silver lining uh, for us out of all of it is like, and I think that's what you're saying with uh, remembering 9-11. That's what I thought of too. What I could most closely relate to is like, you start to realize you're reminded more and more how interconnected you are with all of humanity. Um, and your family. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Definitely that in terms of my family is that sense of uh, getting to spend time together and slow down a bit and really soak each other up and not take each other for granted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, along those lines, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how how rarely we actually live at home. Mm -hmm. And and now we're living at home. We're working at home. We're living at home. But there's something really good about home, mm -hmm. you know, to to be close to home. I know there were there have been so many cancellations and uh, that are happening and we hate to cancel things. And there's a, you know, a trip we were going to make with a bunch of folks from Brentwood to Oberammergau to the Passion Play that only happens every, once a decade. Um and this was to happen in July and that's been canceled. But I mean, it was almost a relief to me when it was canceled mm -hmm. because at times like this, you don't want to be far from home mm -hmm. and home is, you know, it's kind of like the church. The church is not a place. It's a people. Home is not just a place. It's a people. And so home to me is being with my wife. It's being in relationship with my children. It's being able to Skype you or Zoom conference people. Home is, is about people. It's about relationship. I don't want to be far from my people right now. And so there's something, I agree with you, there's something really good about that. And, and the fact that we don't really live a lot at home, we're constantly leaving home or coming home, but we're actually having meals together, cooking meals together, not eating out, but cooking meals together. And it's really interesting to me that that you can have like really close connections um, it, through phone calls and through Zoom conferences and not just uh, being in person, but you can you can have that kind of relationship with the technology. And this is really pushing that for us in a new way and also reminding us of the importance of home. Yep, absolutely. I, uh, oh, go ahead. No. Well, one other thing uh, that has been so interesting, I talked about, I mentioned Sabbath a second ago, and I don't, you know, I'm still pondering this, but it's, this whole thing has been this deeply, it can be this deeply spiritual journey, right? Like contemplating all these, like, where is God in this? These kinds of questions that Job asks, right? Yeah. Um, and we'll probably talk about Job here in a minute, but the idea of Sabbath that I talked about before, um, you know, Sabbath in my mind has, um, been so much about like, Oh, slowing down and this beautiful necessary slowing down. And Oh my goodness, thank you. Cause I've slowed down. And now I get to walk around outside and enjoy God's creation. And like, I'm realizing in a spiritual convicting sort of a way, how, even though I thought of Sabbath as my mind, it's a little bit different for pastors because of 
working during worship, but how much Sabbath, even though I thought it was about connecting with God in my mind, and it was not totally discounting myself, but how much it was also (laughs) self-indulgent, like, and how Sabbath, like now that we can't go out and particularly do what we want to do, I've been thinking about how, you know, ancient Jewish practices and even Jewish practices today, but, you know, what we read in the Old Testament too, Sabbath, you know, is like, stop everything, stay at home. And when I'm now forced to do that as somebody that likes to on my Sabbath get out and go to the park and walk around, uh, which you can still kind of do, but there's just this sense of like how much um, denial of self I was not doing in my Sabbath practices. Like now that being forced at home is um, so self-denying of whatever Allison wants to do. It's like, oh, Sabbath, like I wasn't peeling all the way back. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just totally becoming vulnerable before God and Sabbath. I wasn't denying myself all the things that I wanted to do so that I could center myself on God. Like there's something about that Sabbath and sacrifice in that Jewish practice of just like, I started thinking, you know, in the Old Testament, um, we see Sabbath talking about letting the fields lay, uh, lay untilled, unharvested for a year or whatever it is, you know, every seven years. And it's like, that would have been so much sacrifice on the part of the Hebrew people to be able to practice Sabbath in that way. And how profound is that sort of vulnerability before God? Like, I don't know, it's just hit me in a whole new way. You know, what you're saying reminds me of fasting, too. Mm -hmm. Fasting, it's a forced fast. Yeah, we're forced to fast from the routine uh, of this of, of the normal sort of running the pace that we run at. This is forcing a different kind of pace that is a fasting from the norm, from the routine, which at first is rather disturbing mm-hmm. and combobulating. And then it becomes a bit reflective, like, wait a minute, we've been going way too fast and sometimes maybe even in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You get to go so fa- you get to go so fast on the treadmill that there's not enough reflection. There's not enough sort of you know, one of the one of the books that I was reading this morning is, you know, Richard Foster's book on prayer. Oh, yeah. Finding the heart's true home. I was just finding real comfort in that. But until you're forced to stop, mm-hmm. usually what forces us to stop is suffering. Mm-hmm. Like when you lose a loved one or when something tragic happens, all of a sudden you have a different perspective where whatever you were doing five minutes ago, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote about this in an e-note, you know, about three weeks ago where, um, or I guess it was last week that I said, you know, things that were stressing me out a month ago, they're not stressing me out right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like everything that I thought was ultimate um, in my routine, all of a sudden has shifted. There's, mm-hmm. there's something larger that's happening. And, and I, I think that is the, I hesitate to say benefit, but I think it kind of is. That's the benefit uh, of the perspective that suffering can bring to you is you realize, for one thing, you're dust. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting how Lent begins with that theme, you know, the marking of the ashes on the cross mm-hmm. uh, on, on your forehead that 
Um, you've come from dust and to dust you will return. We started Lent that way. And we're sort of reminded of that right now, mm -hmm. uh, that we're not here forever, that we're not, not everything that we think is of eternal consequence mm -hmm. is of eternal consequence. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it gives perspective to well, what is of eternal consequence. Mm -hmm. You, me, people, you know, our relationship to God and to each other and the community, the interdependence that we have on one another is so much more important than the stuff that I was stressed out about a month ago. Mm. And I do think that that is it's kind of a forced Sabbath, a forced fast mm. that that sort of recalibrates your soul in a way. It, it's not fun. It's not pleasurable. Uh, but boy, is it meaningful. Because um, it, it gives a perspective that we oftentimes maybe have forgotten about. I think also of exile. You know, I was thinking about the Jewish exile. Mm -hmm. that, that, was, that was a completely forced fast mm -hmm. from everything that they knew uh, from the temple to the promise of the land. And all of a sudden, all that's gone. Mm -hmm. And yet their faith didn't disappear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it strengthened. The teaching uh, component of of the Jewish people strengthened, mm -hmm. so they didn't have the symbols and the places that represented the signs. They had the heart. Mm -hmm. God, religion, you know, their religion became a religion of the heart, not just of the external symbol. And and I think that's the maybe the benefit sometimes of uh, things that interrupt our lives. Um, it stresses out at first and then gives us a new perspective. So that's kind of a prayerful hope for all of us at a moment like this. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think it is a time of uh, thinking about our own priorities and what we have actually been practicing and putting our energy into, even if we think in our minds like, oh, my priority was God or my priority was this or this or that. You're like, now that you can't do what you normally do, you're like, oh, where was I spending my time and energy? Where was I actually living uh, my priorities? Like, how is that actually playing out in my behavior day to day? Right. Um, so that, that brings up, um, you saying that sort of brings up this idea that we've been talking a little bit about uh, that after the crisis begins to, you know, when life begins to smooth out again, who knows when um, that life will, will be different, that we will not go back. You, you can't go back to, uh, to life before the crisis because yeah. it changes you from the inside out. And so I, I'm just really curious now about, what what would you how do you think this is potentially going to change maybe us as a church or you as a, a disciple or us as disciples? How does something like this potentially alter our yeah. lives in the future? You know, one thing that we've talked a lot about or you've preached a lot about um, at Brentwood is talking about how just divisive uh people, the United States across the world has become like we identify ourselves as this party or that party. And there's all this kind of divisive language. And my hope and prayer is that we remember how interconnected we are and that we're all 
a common humanity, common creations of God. And that sense of like, I've even seen this on social media already. A lot of my friends who are the people that write like the really divisive sort of things uh, and family do. Hi, family. (laughs) Uh, Like those sorts of, uh, I'm just seeing more and more of this like interconnected, like how can I be here for you? Like, let's remember the people that are suffering or let's remember our grocery store workers or our medical folks or the people that are cleaning our buildings. Um, there's just this sense of like interconnectedness that I think that we were forgetting with each other. And uh, I'm kind of a creation care advocate in terms of taking care of God's creation, the earth. And I was reading something the other day that was talking about how in Venice, like they don't have the water cabs now on the canals and the water has settled and dolphins are swimming through uh, canals. And there were like deer walking through some of a really big um, European city. I can't remember which one it was and how there's some studies already on the pollution decreasing in China and all these things about like, maybe we'll remember how we're supposed to care for the earth. It's such an interesting time, like in Nolensville, Brentwood, Nashville area, I'm in Nolensville, how this is happening right at spring. And it's forcing us, I think, to slow down and like literally hear the birds chirp. They're yeah. like spring songs in the morning and walk around outside and see the buds and the blossoms more than maybe we have noticed them before. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's, my hope is that we'll also, you know, and the we can either go inside our houses or to the grocery store or outside that we'll remember how beautiful outside is and want to take care of it more too. So I agree. Uh, you know how important Radner is to mm-hmm. me. And that's always, uh, I often say to people, there's a correlation to, um, how often I get out to Radnor and the condition of my soul mm-hmm. because it is, I consider that is sort of the original sanctuary, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it was Saturday. I was out there working, kind of going over my sermon, walking through and uh, a lot of folks, it was maybe their first day out in a while. And I remember passing by a group of teenage girls and I just looked up at them. They were smiling and I said, Hey humans, how are you today? And they just laughed because it was like, we all needed to see humans uh, to be reminded um, that we have, you know, this is a wonderful thing to be able to walk in this park and greet other people. And I described that day. There were a lot of people out there. It was like, um, it was like Christmas day. Uh, You know, when you run into people on Christmas day, everybody is just, there's a spirit about Mm -hmm. it. Just like you can't quit smiling, you love, you feel the love of God, you know, when we celebrate that. And that was like out at Radnor, it was Christmas Day. Everybody that you saw was kind, was gracious, was happy to see you, whether they knew you or not. Um, and that, again, that's sort of, a, I guess, a perspective that can come in such a moment as this. And we want to hang on to that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and my my biggest fear even now sometimes is like when we're when we get through this what part of this do we need to hold on to mm-hmm. uh, that as you say that you know we've been so separate and sometimes in our different tribes across the globe and something like this reminds us uh, that we're all brothers and sisters that we're all made in the image of god mm-hmm. and we desperately need each other mm-hmm. So we want to hold on to that. 
Absolutely. Well, okay. I have to ask a question as the person who, uh, <laughs> who chose Job as our, <laughs> as our sermon series. Yes. What were you thinking? And do you find it ironic that we are in a series of Job? And can you please never pick a passage about the apocalypse or some great suffering again, please? <laughs> Yeah, if I pick out the apocalypse for next year, people are going to leave the church. <laughs> like, I'm not going to live through that. Um, you know, a few years ago, I started the practice of taking uh, a week or a week and a half or so uh, early in February uh, to go off and be alone with God and pray and think about the next year. You know, start I think of it from August to June of the next year. What do we need to be working on as a church? And and I remember going off last year and thinking we really need to be working on wisdom, the wisdom literature uh, in in the Old Testament. There are you know, three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job that are part of the wisdom section. I've never done really a series on that as a whole. And now, as of uh, this week, we've spent 20 weeks on these three books. And it occurred to me that because we live in the age of... Um, you know, of technology, we have knowledge at our fingertips, we do seem to lack wisdom. And so it felt like um, when I was away, I really studied these three books. And I felt like this is something we need to work on as a church and as a culture, too. So I thought Job would work out really well during Lent, you know, uh, when we're fasting and when we're praying and, and kind of in that 40 day period where we kind of get in a spiritual zone uh, leading towards Holy Week. And it seemed like um, it seemed like that would be a good direction for us to go. Had no idea, of course, that the day after you begin that series, East Nashville, uh, mm -hmm. Putnam County, yeah. uh, North Nashville, you know, is hit by a tornado. And here we are talking about Job and the whirlwind. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things it reminds me of is, I mean, the scripture is just so relevant to our lives. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to work to make that happen. That's what makes it sacred literature. It's inspired. Uh, but it does seem that this particular study has been especially relevant to us in Nashville and now with the pandemic across the globe. Um, almost uh, in a scary way, really. Yeah. And so, uh, and I can't tell you what it's done for me just to like be, be in this book, studying, you know, every week. It's it's spoken to my heart and my soul. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's the, also the benefit of taking time to leave, to separate yourself uh, from, uh, from the body, to go off and be alone with God, to really try to discern what do we need to be working on. Um, and I've, I've done that, you know, a month ago, so that when we start in August um, this next year, we're going to be walking with Jesus and we're just going to spend um, the whole year on the gospels yeah. uh, walking with Jesus in, in several different sections, the prayer life of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the prophecy of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus, the passion of Jesus and the people of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we'll spend a whole year just walking with Jesus uh, in the gospels. And I think that'll be, hopefully that will be on time for us as a church particularly because, I mean, you and, and our team and discipleship are creating this new path of discipleship for us so that uh, people who, who are coming into our, our church and to our ministry can find um, 
their, their place and in, in where we need to be walking with Jesus in terms of our own discipleship. So we're excited about that too. Yeah. Well, how do you feel like um, Job has been helpful for you or more meaningful for you because of what's happened in the world? What's something that, you know, Job can speak to us? Yeah. I, I think of Job as being sort of um, every man, every woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that all of us uh, experience suffering in life, uh, that all of us experience these sort of detours, crisis moments where we feel like a bit of a victim sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to be sort of the, the classic Jewish victim, um, which when you think about uh, our friends uh, in the Jewish faith, I mean, from being slaves in Egypt to being exiles in Babylon to the Holocaust, I mean, they understand what it's like to feel abandoned and to go through deep crisis. So um, it's it's been interesting to study it. You know, people often ask me, well, is this, you know, is this, did this really happen? Is this Job? Is this a real historical character? And I say to them, well, yes, in this way, like when you see a movie and it says at the beginning, based on a true story. Mm-hmm. That's what Job is. It's based on a true story. Was there a Job? Yeah. Uh, there are many Jobs. I mean, this is the story of what it means to be human and this existential dilemma that all of us are going to suffer individually and corporately. So just from that angle, it's been a reminder that uh, life is not a cakewalk. You know, uh, while it's it's a wonderful gift of God. It also comes with struggle. And so just, just that part of it is very helpful. Um, the other part that's really helpful, and I may, maybe I'll mention too, is that sometimes um, the theology that we develop around suffering and evil is not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we see in the three friends of Job who, when they come to visit their friend, uh, and they see Job on the ash heap. You know, they sit silent with him for a week, which is wonderful ministry. They never say a word. And then after a week, they try to explain why him mm-hmm. and why not them. And it's like that is really not very helpful mm-hmm. to articulate someone else's suffering. Right. And so to equate the idea that, you know, which there were many who believed in that day that if you're suffering, you must have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you're you're doing really well, then God is blessing you. And so the whole book of Job is is really um, is really an argument that that theology is is not completely accurate. Right. Yes, you reap what you sow to some degree, but sometimes things happen through no fault of your own, but then we can't explain it. Right. Um, and and so what's really interesting is when you look ahead to Jesus. Uh, when his disciples would ask him, you know, why is this person suffering or why was this man born blind? Jesus will never answer that question mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of cause. Mm-hmm. He, he only answers it in terms of effect. That is um, not who caused the suffering, but watch what God can do with the suffering. And it's sort of an echo of Joseph's affirmation of faith in Genesis mm-hmm. that what what man, what human people intend for evil, God can use for good. Mm-hmm. And so it reminds us that even like natural tragedy, 
uh, natural calamity that God didn't cause but happened, and we don't know why, but even that God can use to do something uh, that will bless your life and bless others' life through you, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of Job. And then I think my favorite part is where uh, after you know all of this questioning and trying to figure it out by Job and his friends that God actually appears. Uh, in the whirlwind and takes on what I call a virtual tour of creation and says, uh, you know, where were you when I laid out the blueprints for creation? Where were you when I slung out the stars and the cosmos? And it was God's way of helping Job see life from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And then what's so great about that is at the end of that scene, uh, Job doesn't even remember what his question was. (laughs) He doesn't remember because he's been in the presence of God. Uh-huh. And the presence of God is is more important than answering my questions. Yeah. In, in, in fact, I don't even remember what the question was because it's so powerful that God has uh, revealed himself to me that I can live with unanswered questions. Yep. And that's the power of the book. And I think that's the power of this moment. Uh, even sometimes in the crisis we're facing right now, uh, there's some blame and shame that happens in the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's a real shocker, isn't it? Like people, <laughs> people are blaming sometimes each other for this and that. And it just reminds, you know, that's what Job's friends did too. And that's really not helpful. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's hurtful. Yeah. Uh, most, the most helpful thing is, Hey, let me hold your hand. Let me have, let me pray with you. I have no idea what you're going through and how badly it hurts, but, but I'm here for you. I'm with you. And just this idea of God with us, you know, that's, that's the incarnation. That's Jesus in flesh. That's Emmanuel. And it doesn't answer all our questions, but boy, does it ever uh, bring peace in our lives. Talk about Job. A couple different things stood out for me for Job. And like, I took a whole semester on just Job in, uh, seminary. Yeah. I've read Job a lot. Like I've but in the sense of like what's so beautiful about the book of Job to me is that and this is maybe scripture altogether is how living it is and how it can be so relevant to what's going on but yeah Job, um I remember really reading it like really starting to probably get it as a person of faith and a couple things stuck out to me and continue to grow now in what's going on. It's like how um, there's some beauty, there's some, it's like almost pastoral care that Job can just complain and be angry and question God and be so mad. (laughs) And God takes it all. Like God is there for him. Like God's not like, okay, dude, like you failed the test. I'm out. Like, That's the opposite of what God does. And it's the opposite of what ends up, you know, us learning from the friends, opposite of what we should do is like just yeah. being present in the midst of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the other part I feel like, so I'm a person that really likes answers. Like I just like facts and I learn love learning about things. And there's just this profound comfort somehow to me on this like deeply spiritual level that when Job is questioning God, like, why would you do this? That God's answer is not an answer. It's that question, what you preached on, what you just said. And that there's like 
something so beautiful in thinking about like, like we are humans and God is so much bigger than what we can ever understand. And like some people, I think, get frustrated at the ending or that part of the ending of Job and say like, man, why did God just try to put him back in his place? Like that was mean. And for me, and I think a lot of people um, that read it, what's so beautiful is that God's not, I don't think, trying to put us back in our place as like, you know, minimalizing who we are, but saying like how awesome God is and like how God's got it all. Like all of creation, I could create this. Like you don't understand how all the stars were created, but I did because I did that. Like I, I, and that's just like this beautiful, like perspective shift. I think of like yeah. you hum- who humans are. It's not like, oh, you're awful humans, bad sinners, sort of a language. It's like, no, 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 no. You're beautiful. Humans show like you're good, but like you're righteous man. But like, look how big I am, says God. And that's just, I like to fall into that sort of love. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I don't read that at all in the when God appears in the whirlwind section as mm-hmm. uh, as a put down of Job. In fact, I think the reason um, that God loved Job so much is because Job was hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to put God down. He wasn't trying to be God. He was trying to understand God. Mm-hmm. He was hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And, you know, it just reminds me how much of Job reminds me of Jesus when he comes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, that that's what God loved about Job is he was so passionate about his relationship with God that he wanted to he wanted to understand. Mm-hmm. And there's something wonderful about that. Uh, and I think God affirms that in the end. And that may be at the end in Job 42 is is partly why maybe God does kind of put down Job's friends mm-hmm. is because they were just sort of opting for the fill in the blank answers. Right. Uh, God wants, uh, he wants not a Q and a question and answer. He wants a Q and Q he wants an ongoing relationship an ongoing dialogue with mm. us, which is when you think about it, uh, we talked about this recently. Jesus asked no less than about 300 questions in the four gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the best teachers that I ever had in seminary or in college were those that didn't just fill in the blank answer, but created questions that made us think on a deeper level, on a different perspective. And, and that's really, uh, I think that's the relational aspect of God. The, the other part that you just reminded me about is at the very conclusion in chapter 42, I think this is really interesting that. Um, once Job gains this new perspective, once Job has been in the presence of God, and um, then what does God do with him? He actually um, calls Job to intercede, to pray for his friends who had done, done him harm, mm-hmm. theologically speaking. He calls Job, after Job's been in the presence of God, to now intercede on behalf of these friends mm-hmm. the very ones who had done him harm he prays for them and they're reconciled mm-hmm. that's beautiful right. and then he restores uh you know as as it says he gives double blessing um to job in the end not because job deserves it but because god is good 
and God is gracious. And a part of that restoration, which I find really help interesting, um, is that he he says that uh, he has seven sons and three daughters again. So he's restored the family. Mm-hmm. And then he names the three daughters. He never names the seven sons, which in a patriarchal culture, mm-hmm. you're like, wait a minute. We don't need to know who the women are. We need to know who the sons are. But this is like, no, no, no. Uh, We're given the names of the daughters. And we're told that these are the loveliest uh, of women uh, in in the world. And so what's happening is in the restoration, this man who's been in control of everything is actually honoring these daughters who are given names and the whole story then moves from a story about righteousness to a story about beauty. Mm. That there is actually beauty even in the suffering, mm. which is all, always going to be followed by restoration. Mm. Those who endure the suffering faithfully, that it turn, even the ashes become beautiful. Mm-hmm. He gave me beauty for ashes. Mm-hmm. He gave me the oil of joy for mourning. He put a song of praise in place of sorrow. Mm-hmm. That's that's Isaiah speaking. Huh. And yeah. so when you see the way that that story ends, just that little detail, uh, it reminds me of that even in the in the crisis, uh, God is putting together a masterpiece huh. that will even be- in the cross. There is an empty tomb waiting. Yeah, for every cross, there's a resurrection. Mm-hmm. A lot of gospel in Job. <laughs> a lot of gospel. When you ended the sermon on Sunday and you said, that's the gospel according to Job, I was like, yeah, that is the gospel. I mean, <laughs> what you were talking about a minute ago about suffering and uh, you weren't using the word resurrection, but I mean, it's like at the foundation of who we are as Christians, right? This suffering that is resurrected. That's what yeah. the cross and resurrection or is this like so and here's here's an example of what you just said like a lot of times when we do confirmation or when we're doing youth ministry and we ask young people like what was your first experience of uh, encountering god mm-hmm. they'll usually say well it was in the death of my grandfather or grandmother mm-hmm. or it was in a very difficult situation that i faced maybe a crisis that oftentimes that's when spiritual formation actually begins for right. young people, for, for students, because you recognize then that the world doesn't revolve around me mm-hmm. and that I'm not just dependent on me, mm-hmm. that I'm dependent on, on a higher being. I'm dependent on God. I'm dependent on community. And, and it just reminds me over and over again how suffering becomes a, a part of spiritual formation, even in the lives of children. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. There's something, I don't think we've used this word, but like, it's like control. Like that's what, it goes with what I was talking about with Sabbath and what we've talked about, about fasting and Lent, the practice of Lent. It's like recognizing uh, how much control we try to impose, (laughs) but how little control we actually have. That's what happens to Job. All the things that he can control-ish, so he thinks in his life, are stripped away. And he he has absolutely no control. He's totally naked, totally vulnerable in front of God and his friends for that matter. But there's a sense of like 
when you have no control, coming back to the coronavirus, when we literally don't even know how to control the disease particularly, right. uh, when we don't have the control to live our lives in the routines that we were wanting to, um, your control has to be given to God. Like you don't, you True. realize like, oh, like I am fully reliant on God. Like I wasn't being, but I shouldn't be. Well, and the, and the problem for that. The problem sometimes is we build theologies mm-hmm. around prosperity, mm-hmm. around the blessing or the privilege of life as though we deserve that. Mm-hmm. When you build a theology, and there was a theology built around that early on. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting in the wisdom literature is you see a shift in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes to Job, mm-hmm. because in Job, um, this faith as a transaction, as an equation, like X plus Y, I get blessed. It doesn't hold up anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it there's like there's there's a shift happening theologically, and it's ultimately related to the exile which was the corporate crisis that the Jews were going through because the book of Job was probably written during that period. Yeah. And so the corporate crisis is bringing to light the question that the theology that we once um, bought into doesn't always happen. And does that mean God has abandoned me? And Job's answer is no. Mm -hmm. And that, can you imagine the comfort that that book brings to people who then face the crisis, that this is not all my fault. I'm not getting exactly what I deserve, but God's grace is still with me. And just because you're blessed or better off than me doesn't mean that you're more deserving uh, than I am. I can't explain that. Some of the situations in life's highs and lows are not to be explained, uh, but that God is in the midst of that with us is so comforting Mm -hmm. and has been through the ages. As you know, there's always the people that are like, this is a curse from God. And please hear me say, I 100% did not think that coronavirus is a curse from God. But it has made me think uh, about, and I'm not trying to dismiss the uh, Old Testament, uh, ancient Hebrew understanding of natural disasters or disease or plague or these sorts of things. I'm not trying to like minimize that theology but I've always struggled with like curses from God like I don't know I don't read that like that in the Old Testament but it's just so interesting now thinking about curses in the Old Testament and that language that you know you, you see in the Exodus story for sure but you see throughout the Old Testament and you see prophets use talking about curses or like God will wreck your whole world or what you know that sort of uh, your whole um, community, that sort of language. And it's like, I, there's something in there. I don't, again, do not think coronavirus is by any stretch of the imagination a curse from God, but it's like, oh, now I see why in some ways prophets would say curses are going to make you shift all of your priority. Like, this is why plagues from God for Egypt will make you shift all of your understanding of your life. Because what we've been talking about is that it does like such prolific suffering on such a huge level, like draws you into this existential sort of level of like questioning priorities and perspectives. And I mean, it really makes you, it's like the one thing that can, (laughs) (laughs) make you just totally 
like be like, oh, I've lost all control. Like I literally have no control. So I guess I do really need to think about that now. Like I got nothing but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're back to the whole idea of causality. Does, mm-hmm. does God cause? There is a sense in which we reap what we sow. Right. I mean, that's in the New Testament, too. Like if I touch the stove, I'm going to get burned. God's not going to spare me. Right. You know, if, um, and there, there's certain natural law, I think, that, you know, if if you if you go against that, there will be consequences. We know that. That's why we teach our children you know, when they're young, um, certain moral behavior because they can hurt, you know, it can hurt them. Um, and, and so we want to save people from pain. And so I think there's there's a part of that that's that's very true, especially related to the moral order, the natural law. But again, we're back to Job where you can't what they're saying is you can't explain all of life that way. Right. Because I remember a book I once read called uh, When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Mm-hmm. There, there are moments in your life, in our lives, where life just doesn't quite stack up. It doesn't make sense to us. That doesn't mean that God is out of control or that God is not still leading through that. Uh, I, I do think it's beyond our pay grade to explain some of that. Um, but we're back to the effect of suffering, how God can use that instead of getting too deep into personal right. causes of that. And, and I think again about a story from, I think this is in Luke chapter 13, um, where Jesus is, and Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem and they came to this uh, tower, the tower of Siloam that had fallen, that, mm-hmm. that fell down. Apparently it wasn't anchored correctly you know they didn't have the right construction mm-hmm. that was part of it and it fell and it killed a number of people mm-hmm. on the ground and so the disciples asked you know did these people sin worse than we did because they got killed in this tragic accident and there again Jesus is not going to discuss the cause he said uh, he essentially won't answer that but he does say look unless you repent you too are going to die eternally Unless you repent and turn from your sin, you too will experience uh, death. So he won't answer the question as they ask it, but he points them in another direction to recognize that we're all dust and we're all going to have a point at which we're going to suffer and die. But the question is, how is how are we living in this moment uh, in ways that will uh, bring about a deeper witness and a deeper connection in the world with God? That's the question. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's fine to ask the other question. Job did and God allowed it. The Psalms, you know, a third of the Psalms are anguished prayers. We're like, why? Even Jesus, why have you forsaken me? Um, That's a part of the dialogue with God. Thank God he allows that. Um, Because it's not coming out of a malicious spirit. I'm not trying to become God. I'm trying to understand God. Right. As long as that dialogue is happening, I think God um, God is good with that. Well, Job, man, some good stuff. Thank you for your sermons on it and for this talk. Yeah, no, this has been great. It's wonderful how connected scripture is to life and mm-hmm. the practice of, of our faith. Mm-hmm. And just to be able to talk about that, we wouldn't have had this conversation had it not been for the, um, you know, social distancing, the crisis that we're in. Yeah. And I think this is happening more and more to people is, Uh, You may not be in the same room, but there's a lot of deep conversation happening about life and faith 
And uh, to God be the praise for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.